Welcome to Water on the Wireless, a podcast by McPherson Media Group in conjunction with Country News. Well, the lucky few amongst us who've been wandering around the river banks and uh, in the areas like uh, the Goulburn River and the Broken River in northern Victoria may have been fortunate enough to see a platypus. Now, these little mammals are not that easy to find and uh, they sort of have a reputation for being elusive or quiet or shy, uh, but uh, they spend a lot of their time, well... Uh, most of the time they're out, it's probably dark uh, times of the day when people are not around. Uh, but one of the questions which has puzzled scientists for a while is how do you count them? How do you get a good survey, an idea on how many there are out there when they're just so hard to identify and find? Well, uh, someone uh, has come up with a, uh, an interesting idea in how to, um, how to establish the um, platypus populations. Uh, and I'm talking today to Josh Griffiths, who is a platypus ecologist, and uh, he's going to tell us about uh, an idea uh, which is being developed to get a good handle on um, how many platypus platypi there are out there. Um, welcome, Josh, to uh, the podcast. Thanks, Jeff. Nice to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about what's being proposed? Yeah, so as, as you mentioned before, platypuses are, are really difficult to to survey and we can't just go out to a river and, and look for them and count them uh, with any sort of reliability. So uh, over the last probably five years, we've developed a technique called environmental DNA where we can go and take water samples and actually look for traces of platypus DNA in the water. And we can use that to say with really high reliability whether platypus are present at a site or not. Goodness me. Um, even despite there being such a huge bulk of water and the DNA fragments must be tiny. That's right, yeah. I mean, the, the larger the water body, it presents a bit more challenges, but that just means we, we change the way that we sample the water a little bit. Um, so, yeah, it's quite amazing how much, DNA is out there. It's almost like our, our rivers are a, are a soup of genetic material, and so we can pick up platypuses and different fish species, and basically anything that lives in that waterway. And so the the, the project that we've proposed on on the back of the um, government announcement that platypuses are to be listed as as vulnerable in Victoria, one of the things that we really need to understand to be able to protect them and to manage our waterways better for platypus is to understand where they are. And we just don't have that really simple information about where platypus populations are and where we can direct our management actions to have the biggest impact. So um, this using these techniques... Um, It'll give you an idea of the populations. It won't. It won't give you an exact count, will it? Uh... No, unfortunately, there's no way. Even if we did sort of intensive live trapping and, and capturing platypuses, there's no reliable way to estimate numbers. So it's a slightly different way of looking at populations, and it's and it's really good to look at something like platypus that are very they're quite widespread but in low numbers is that we, we can sample a high number of sites and we're talking about, you know, the project we're proposing, we want to look at thousands of sites across Victoria. And from that, we can work out 
which sites platypus are present and which ones they're not. And you can relate that to different environmental variables like water quality or flow regimes or vegetation around waterways and work out what are the factors that are really important for platypuses and which are their major threats. And from that, you can design your management actions to have the biggest impact. Mm. Uh, now, th- this this technology, and uh, forgive me for, for going on about this, but it's quite it's quite fascinating. <laughs> uh, is this similar to the technology they're using to analyse our wastewater to see what sort of uh, you know drug and alcohol issues there are in various communities around Australia? Yeah, it's it's very similar. So some of the lab techniques are, are very similar, like they're using to detect uh, coronavirus in sewage waters. So. Very similar. They're looking for traces of, of virus DNA in, in the waterways in that, and we're using the same, but um, you know, looking for platypus-specific DNA, and we can do that for a variety of different species. Goodness me! Have um, has this been? Is is this unique to Australia, or has it been developed all around the world? No, certainly not. It's it's a very rapidly growing technique for aquatic surveys. Um, as, as in most things, uh, Australia was probably a little bit behind the eight ball, but certainly in, in Europe and the US, it's very widely used um, and being recognised as a really sensitive technique to detect aquatic species. So um, the, the techniques that we're using, we've just adapted for, for platypus. Um, and I guess what's really exciting is that we can get community members involved in this sort of rigorous science where, you know, we can have local residents or school groups or land care groups out there collecting water samples and then we can do the technical lab analysis side of it. So it's a really good opportunity to match up some innovative um, scientific techniques with citizen science and, and community engagement. Hmm. Uh, um, now, the, the, um, the, the platypus themselves, um, I, I mentioned that they tend to be the reputation is for being shy and elusive, which makes it you know hard to do surveys. Uh, is that necessarily true, or is it just the the behaviour and the way, the way they live that just makes them hard to find? Yeah, I think it's it's a, probably a little bit of both. I think people think they're quite elusive because they very rarely see them, and a lot of that is because they're just active in areas and at times of the day that that we're not. So you know they spend most of their time active. During the night, um, it's not unusual to see them out the day, but they only spend about a quarter of their time active during the day, usually early morning or, or evening. So I think a lot of the times we just don't overlap with our activity very much. Um, they certainly can be quite quite a curious animal, and if you're and if you're quiet and, and sit by a waterway or you're out there fishing, I hear lots of stories of people telling me that you know platypus will pop up and. Uh, swim around their feet while they're fishing or, or swim next to them while they're kayaking. So they can be quite a curious little creature. We just don't encounter them much. Mm, yeah, yeah. The, um, and, and in terms of sightings, um, do you, do you, are you aware of what the history is with, like in northern Victoria in terms of, of sighting of any of these animals in the, uh, the mammals in the um, you know, Goulburn River or the Broken? Is there much of a record? Yeah. Um, there are a few, but it's probably typical of a lot of the information we've got on platypus. They're, they're quite sporadic and a lot of our, so historically there has been sightings, you know, all through the Goulburn and, and most of the major tributaries. But when you look at what's been reported recently, say in the last 10 years, there's very little. 
And I guess the challenge for myself and other ecologists is to work out, does that relate to the fact that platypuses are getting more scarce and, and more localised? Or is it just that people aren't looking and reporting platypuses in these other areas? And that's why relying on sightings is, is really sort of fraught with danger when we're trying to estimate the health of a population. What we need is really a, a widespread systematic survey that can look at all those areas where there aren't necessarily people around or where you can't see platypuses easily. Um, and that's where this eDNA technique is, is really valuable. Mm. Um, I, I see the uh, just recently the Victorian government's announced that uh, the, their status has been um, changed to threatened in Victoria. Uh, is that something we should be concerned about? Absolutely. And, and I should say that this hasn't happened overnight. This is on the back of uh, you know, several decades of, of research by, by myself and a, and a few other groups. Um, so it's been a sort of long decline and you know, a lot of that in recent times has been due to um, the millennium drought. Um, but other things like land clearing and our own water use is, is all impacting platypus populations. And so what we're finding, where we've got good data on platypuses, which tends to be in, in only a couple fairly localised areas, is that um, the, the numbers that we're seeing from our trapping surveys are declining. We've seen less reproduction during those drought years. Um, thankfully, since the drought's finished, we have seen uh, a bit of a recovery of populations. But some areas, they've disappeared completely from, from local systems and they're unlikely to ever return to those areas without sort of active um, management of them. And I guess the worry is is that we need to understand how widespread these declines are because the kind of threats that they're facing, things like climate change and increasing water use from, from humans, is going to increase in the future. So the declines that we're seeing will continue and they'll get worse unless we do something about it. So the announcement by the government is a really important step for them to gain better protection and, and better protection for their habitat. Mm. Um, w- one thing that uh, they have a reputation for is uh, having a, uh, a poisonous spur on their, somewhere near their hind <laughs> legs. Have you ever handled one? And Are they ever dangerous? Um, well, I, I guess all animals can be dangerous. Yeah, their, their venomous spur is, is certainly a very unique feature to platypuses. So it's only the males that have that, and it's used for males to sort of fight with each other over territory. So during breeding season, adult males will, will get a bit aggressive and their, their, their venom production sort of goes through the roof a little bit, and they'll fight other males to um, have access to their own territory and, and all the females that live in that territory so that they're able to breed and, and produce more young. Um, I've certainly handled a lot of platypuses around, I guess, a, a thousand platypuses over the last decade or so. Um, it, it certainly makes it a little bit challenging, but it is it is quite easy to avoid, provided you know that they are venomous. You just got to handle them in a in a very particular way so that it's uh, it's safe for yourself and safe for the animals. Yeah, well, there wouldn't be very many people who would have actually handled them, I'd imagine. Um, that's something of a privilege, but- isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it, it certainly is. Um, and I guess one of the things that, that we do a lot of uh, with our uh, live trapping surveys when we do them is that I, I tend to take a lot of undergrad students out to give them experience in the field or local residents in the area. And to be able to show 
someone a platypus up close is is quite amazing. It's um, you know, it gets a bit uh, routine for myself, so it's really great to have other people along and see the excitement and um, you know, thrill that they get for for seeing these amazing little creatures up close. Yeah. Oh no, interesting. Um, now, Josh, can you just tell us the um, uh, just the structure of the program? Um, you're you're a um, uh, an ecologist with Enviro DNA, a commercial company. Um, yep. But it's it's the the program sort of being driven by uh, uh, an organisation called Odonata, a um, uh, a charitable uh, organisation. Understand, not not for profit. Um, yep. Um, what's what's the how are you going about this? Because I understand you're trying to you, there's a, there's a there's a bit of fundraising going on for the program. Uh, you're also trying to recruit some volunteers to help source the samples. Um, yeah, can you just give us a bit of an idea of the structure. Yeah, sure. So I guess you know, as I mentioned before, off the back of this announcement of, of platypus being uh, listed as vulnerable in Victoria. We really need need good information on where they are at, at, a, at a sort of fine scale that we just don't have. So what we're proposing is to do a statewide survey using uh, environmental DNA and, and citizen scientists. And so it, it's very much a community-focused program where, you know, we want local residents and volunteers and environment groups to, um, you know, really take ownership of their own area and, and, and go and take samples from their area and, and send them back to us in the lab to do the analysis. And it's a, it's a really good partnership with Odonata because um, we provide, I guess, the platypus expertise and the technical expertise and, and Odonata is a, is a very big um, proponent of habitat management and, and has great links with community and, uh, and industry as well. So it's a really exciting partnership and, um, you know, it's just been launched the other day. So, um, you know, I do encourage people to, to jump on the website and, and if they've got a few dollars to, to commit some, some funding towards it or register to be involved um, when we're able to launch this project, hopefully later in the year. Great. So um, uh, people who are interested in uh, participating or uh, providing some support can go to the Odonata uh, website, I understand, and that's spelt O-D-O-N-A-T-A. Uh, I think. Yep, and, um, and if they Google the the Great Victorian Platypus search, um, uh, right. they should be able to find it, it yep. find it fairly easily. Mm. Okay, well, look, thanks, Josh. Uh, appreciate your time, and thanks for uh, filling us in with this um, information about uh, platypus. No worries. Look, hopefully, I'll be able to uh, chat to you again in the future, and we'll tell you how the program's going. Yeah, we look forward to it. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Jeff.